Shalom. Welcome to Riv Kush, a CJM podcast which features the voices of Jews of color discussing a wide range of Jewish topics. My name is Rivka Campbell. My guest for our first episode today is Tyler Samuels. Tyler is a recent graduate of U of T. He, he majored, double major actually, in political science and history. Tyler has written a ton of articles on race, politics, and diversity. He's done panel discussions, you name it. Tyler also defines himself as a Sephardi Jew still trying to locate God. Welcome, Tyler. Thank you for having me. I got a question for you right off the top. How's your search? <laughs> Still trying to locate him. I don't know if I'll still find him in my lifetime. Yeah. All right. All right. But at least you're still searching. You haven't completely given up. Yeah. No. Yeah. I am. I am. I have not given up. I'm still looking. I haven't gone full atheist, but I, I'm still trying to find him. Well, you know, that's that's the that's the Jewish way, isn't it? The Jewish way is to search, to question, have doubt, have no doubt, you know, that sort of evolving up and down. Right. Questioning, questioning, questioning the struggle, struggling with God. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is the way. So let's leap in. We have so many things that we can talk about. Um, let's start off off the top because this is probably really timely in that recently there was the National Summit on Anti-Semitism done by the Canadian government, which had a, a wide range of people. And inevitably, the topic that came up quite frequently is anti-Semitism on campus. Mm-hmm. And you having been a recent U of T grad and having been in the thick of it, doing stuff with Hillel, et cetera, et cetera, you tell me what your experience was on campus. Um, it was actually quite terrible <laughs> um, because hmm. when people think about anti-Semitism on university campuses, it's always having to do with York University and, oh, how terrible it is and how violent and vicious it can become at York University. But at the University of Toronto, um, I don't know, I could say it was a quiet anti-Semitism, but it was worse in the fact that there's no attention placed on it. No media attention was placed on it. Um, the school administration for a very long time ignored it. Um, the student union, because I went to uh, UFT Scarborough and the student union there, it certainly encouraged it. They encouraged it throughout the years that I was there. Um, they made no effort to talk to the small Jewish community that was there and to gauge them on how to deal with anti-Semitism and hatred. No, they, they, they encouraged it. And the school administration, uh, they were equally responsible because I remember I went to the equities office and the, the director, and I, I remember her, and I even know she probably still works at Ryerson because she left UFT to go to Ryerson University. Um, she was very problematic. She, the first time I met her, this woman said to me, you know, Tyler, I, I love Jews. I love Judaism. I'm a Judophile. 
And but what disappointed me about the Jewish community was when the Rwandan genocide was happening. Why were the Jews so silent? Why didn't they say something, do something? Why didn't they act? And in my head, I'm like, so we we as a collective, we hold so much power that we could have went to Rwanda and told the Hutu militias to put down their machetes and stop killing people because we're Jews. That's the type of nonsense that I felt that she was trying to say. Um, and it was weird. It was a weird, it was a weird comment right off the bat when I met her. But then it made the comment made sense throughout my various interactions with her um, because there was growing anti-Semitism at the time at Scarborough campus. And when we went to, to, to her to deal with it, um, for example, a Jewish girl was chased out of a room at a pro-Palestinian event. Um, she basically said, she, she, she victim blamed. She, she basically said, why was she there? Um, I'm not going to suspend the club status. And they had made, they had done many, many things that would have made their club status been, uh, revoked by the university, but she never did it. Uh, instead, she said, I want you guys to have a meeting with a pro-Palestinian group to discuss your differences. And to me, it was like, to me, it was, so if, if, if me as a Black person reported to her that there was a racist incident and someone called me the N-word, would I have to go into conference with this person to hash out our differences because Equity's officer did not want to take proactive action? Absolutely um, not. Absolutely not. I, you know, that's a really, that's a really key point. I think sometimes we live in this world where, you know, people believe that almost everything is shades of gray. Yeah. And, you know, if we were honest with ourselves as a society, there are things that are actually clear cut black and white. So, you know, there's this mindset of let's talk it out. Let's find common ground. Let's do, you know, let's, let's, let's. And it's like exactly to your point. Why would you ask this young lady who is chased out of a room to sit with the people who chased her out? And it's almost like it's almost like that 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 narrative that was going on during the last conflict. Both sides should show restraints. I'm I'm sorry, what? You know, it's like um, in this case. No, a conversation needs to be held solely with the people who chased her out of the room. Just like if somebody calls me the N-word, I am not meant to sit in the room with that person and talk about our feelings. It is exactly. black and white. That person and, needs and that's what, consequences, not me. Yeah, and, and that's what this equities officer, remember, she was supposed to be about equity. And instead, she she basically put the onus on the Jewish community on that campus um, to deal with things that we shouldn't um, have had to deal with. We shouldn't have had to fight to be heard when we said there was a growing amount of anti-Semitism on campus, um, but then the university failed us. So... Like yesterday, when I well, I I knew about the summit already, and 
I saw tweets about it. I didn't. I wasn't invited. I wasn't. I didn't participate. I saw a little bits and pieces about of it. Um, but I'm not confident. I'm not confident that the summit will achieve anything. I think it was really a meeting and to placate the Jewish community that oh, the government hears us. Um, for me, it's. Put your money where your mouth is at this point, um, because there needs to be concrete steps rather than, oh, a discussion. We are hearing from the Jewish community about how bad and horrible anti-Semitism has gotten in Canada. And I think, realistically, there shouldn't really have been a summit. There really should have been immediate action and action plan that w- would have been created. Um, that's just my opinion. Yeah, no, I, know, no, I, yeah. I hear, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. It, you know, sometimes it comes to, it, it's like, it's like what, it's like the um, approach to racism in this country. It's the approach to um, indigenous people and this, this feigned, I don't know, if, well, maybe feigned's the right word. I don't know this, this shock at things that are coming to light that actually were never in the dark. You know, I said to myself, when the they discovered the graves of the children in BC, the indigenous children in BC, and I looked at the the in quotations shock and outrage on social media, and I thought to myself, why is everybody so shocked? We have a long history of racism. We have the residential schools, the last one only closed fairly recently yeah you know it wasn't didn't like it wasn't like it closed a hundred years ago and the indian act was still quite applicable in my lifetime i remember it when i was growing up i'm not that old you know and so i'm thinking to myself why are you surprised why are you shocked and and move past your shock and surprise and do something no speeches no this know that not even land acknowledgements put some money into the problem put some weight behind it and start to fix it start to fix it because again this it's not down to the indigenous people to solve this 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 issue they didn't create it they are the victims don't put the onus on them don't put the onus on Jews to fix the anti-Semitism problem. You know, this 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 summit, yeah, we can share what we think might help, but ultimately it is up to non-Jews to fix their problem with anti-Semitism. It is up to non-Indigenous people to fix our problem. It is up to people, people who are not defined as people of color to fix racism in this country and stop putting the onus on the victims. Yeah, Um the funny thing about that actually is I I go back to your when you said the whole shock and awe aspect when they found uh, the graves of the children. And for me, I like I I, re- I have friends uh, uh, in particular non-indigenous white friends who were who wrote statuses about how shocked they were, how outraged. But then on Canada Day, you saw them at 
fireworks going off and they're taking videos and celebrating and it's like would would you fire would you fire fireworks if your neighbor's kid died Mm -hmm. and for me it's a joke it's a joke when people in this on this issue when people say oh we're shocked we're outraged how could this happen but then only a couple weeks later they they fire fireworks and they're celebrating when it should be a review of what's going on in this country mm-hmm. and how do we fix it but that didn't happen and you saw people getting upset oh how how you're taking away our candidate and it's a, and the issue is no we're not taking away your candidate we're saying be respectful mm-hmm. for like a day we we one found, day out of your life one yeah, day one day of your life out of your year you know like like really and it, it is it boggles the mind and and you know even some of the stuff that people were doing is what you know we call per- performative allyship yes and it's like okay that's great you know again your shock and disgust but where's your shock and disgust over the current situation in the Nunavut and, and in the the far north where they're still having challenges with proper drinking water where they're having challenges accessing uh, decent health care. And that that stuff isn't new. That stuff didn't happen in the last couple of months. You know, it's only when it's in your face and and such a tragedy that you cannot ignore is when all of a sudden you're everybody's up in arms. It's kind of like the George Floyd thing. It, yeah. it, it's it's yeah. like it's like whenever it's like they can't look away. When they can't look away, then it becomes a thing. And speaking of which, I think this kind of leads into your sentiments around what you defined, because I, I consider this your definition. I don't know if you coined it or not, but you're the first one who said this to me, is the concept of the woke left. Yes. Um, so tell me about that concept and that. Well, for many, many years now, I, I actually wrote an article about this in my university paper, my school paper. It was called, what was it called again? The Ballad of the, so- the Social Justice Warrior. And that's like a song title. Really, yes. truly. Maybe you can put some words to it, make it a song and make a hit. Sorry, I digress. <laughs> but basically, in the article, I, I, I lambasted them. And remember, this was years ago. This was like, like 2014, I think 2015, 2014. When it was just starting, like for me, when I was just starting to get into this world of performative activism and wokeness, um, I found it. I found it annoying because what I saw was people on the left being overtly performative with their activism to the point of where they were attacking uh, POC who disagreed with their methods of how to get something done within social social justice. And when I talk about the woke left, I I make it clear that I'm not I'm not right wing. I don't hate the left. I'm not well, regardless, I'm you would know as well I'm not a right winger. But the woke left mm-hmm. is so toxic because they they take on traits from ironically right-wing elements, especially Trumpism, and they subject people 
that disagree with them the same way how Trump supporters subject people that criticize them. And whether it be doxing, whether it be weird social media attacks, um, the woke left does this. And that's that's interesting. You know, sorry, I'm just thinking about that. As you're saying it, I'm thinking about some of the stuff I've seen. And I think, you know, I think that's a point that needs to be emphasized is that on both extremes, if you will, one that you define as woke left and, and of course, right winged extremism, that the tactics are the same. I found that that's really interesting because even in my as I reflect now, I can see it. But anyways, go on, please. <laughs> and basically, um, what I have been seeing lately is the woke left loves to be activists online, social media. So whether it be indigenous issues, they're always online uh, on Instagram, reposting things and saying this and that. But you never see them at a protest. You never see them sharing uh, links to fundraisers or whatever. It's always, for some reason, they think they have to educate people. So they reshare and post things. But at the end of the day, they live in a bubble. So they're sharing things, but it's only being consumed by people that always share their viewpoint 24-7. Mm. And what I, like lately, what I've been getting really annoyed by is they have become more or less very very righteous they think that their opinion alone is the right opinion and everyone else must be wrong and that's what i've gotten from my encounters from them and i'm not saying all people on the left are like this no no i i would assume that you're not saying that it, it sounds very specific to yeah th this is tagged as the woke left yeah this I, is the woke yeah, left yeah and like I've encountered them and they've they've called me a coon. They've called me all sorts of racial pejoratives. Oh, and all that. wow. The irony. Yeah. Yeah, 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 the irony, the irony. We want, <laughs> we want to, we want to help you lift up yourself while we tear you down by calling you racist names, because <laughs> we know best. Yeah, it's 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 paternalism to to the worst that I've ever seen, basically. And um, it's actually it's actually um, a weird form of what they like to throw at you know Israel and and yeah. things. Is it's a weird form of that colonialism that become you know this this soundbite word and actually they're almost um they're almost internalizing colonialism really you know we know best we will yeah you know you you're just this you're just this poorly uneducated ignorant quote-unquote savage type person and we'll tell you we'll tell you who you are and we'll help lift you up we need to educate you. we, we need, need to, to we need to civilize you basically yeah exactly it's that whole and that is part of colonialism so it's funny that that um, they're actually perpetrating it in an interesting way because they don't realize it they don't see it but they do it mm -hmm. um and i know if they listen to this podcast they'll, they'll disagree wholeheartedly and say oh that's lies but the interactions that i have had whether it be in spaces dealing with anti-black racism or when it comes to israel it is always very, we know what we're talking about, you don't, and that is why we're here to better educate, mm -hmm. because you don't understand yet. Yeah, it's true. You know what I find? I tend to respond to things like that, you know, because I've had discussions 
around even terminology. So for example, we, we, there's BIPOC, right? BIPOC. And I'm saying BIPOC. And as I say it, it's actually making me kind of feel annoyed with myself. And I had a discussion with someone saying, please, please do not use BIPOC. And they're like, why not? I said, name each and every letter. I said, because what is BIPOC? I said, you say, you say black indigenous people of color spell out give each word the importance that it deserves don't flip it off as a cute little thing to put on social media bipoc bipoc when i hear it it actually makes my teeth grit and <laughs> so you know cuz what is that do you call people of color pocs do you call them pox yeah do you call me a pock no you don't <laughs> so so what's up with the bipoc that's lazy and that's lazy and it's actually it's kind of dismissive whether they yeah. realize it or not so i was having this conversation with somebody who is not black indigenous person of color and then it was like no you know and i said okay and i finally just said really i said you are none of those and i said i am telling you as one of those that it is more appropriate to say it all. You can never go wrong with saying Black, Indigenous, people of color. You can never go wrong with mm -hmm. saying that. So just say it. Just say it or else please call me a pock. <laughs> please call me a pock. But, but you see it all the time. Where where Because I wish I could say that I didn't have many times where I've had to say to people, um, you're going to explain this to me is a black Jew, you're, you're telling me how I should feel. You're telling me, you know, it's like, really? It's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it boggles my mind. How is your navigation to the Jewish community, Tyler? <laughs> Stop laughing, Tyler. It's not funny, Tyler. <laughs> my navigation of the Jewish community, honestly, the answer has always been very poorly. Um, and that it's just with that question, it's always been, I have never felt that I have been accepted by at least the Toronto Jewish community. That is for certain. I've never, ever felt accepted by them. However, when I go to other communities, Jewish communities, mm -hmm. I've, 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 felt, I've felt accepted. They welcome me. They, they talk, whatever. Um, so for me... For years now, navigating the Toronto Jewish community has always been a struggle because number one, the stairs. And mm -hmm. people people think this is a little itty bitty thing. It's not that serious, but it is. When you're in a community and you 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 go to an event or you go to a synagogue and they're they're just staring at you constantly, constantly staring at you, it makes you feel mm -hmm. very uncomfortable that they don't want you there and. For me, as a person, like when people stare at me, it, it does bother me. It bothers me because why are you staring at me this intently? Mm -hmm. So for me, it bothers me um, and it makes me uncomfortable. Two, I've always been at, on the receiving end of getting racist comments. And it's amazing to me that for some reason in this day and age, they're, they're so comfortable. They're so comfortable being open about their racism. And like, I remember... I was at a Shabbaton years ago, and the host, remember, the host family, the father, he, he's a rabbi. He, he asked me, point blank, he had not even 
known me for 10 minutes. You only knew my first name. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, are you Ethiopian? Like, how are you, how are you Jewish? How, like, tell me, like, basically tell me your story. And it's like, I don't even know you. And you're already asking me intimate, in, intimate details about my family. Uh, well, not my family, my, my family history, uh, my Jewish status, basically. Um, no. And, and when I did say uh, Jamaican, he, he went on this tangent about poverty and Jamaica and all sorts of ridiculous nonsense. Um, or the time where another rabbi, who I will not hear, <laughs> um, right. he, he basically started trying to defend apartheid to me. And it's like, wh- what the hell are you doing? What, what, in what world do you think it's appropriate to go to your one of your students, the only black student in your Jewish program, and at a Shabbaton, argue with him about the ben- like the benefits of apartheid. That's that was his argument. Mm-hmm. Um, like the list can go on about how many racist incidences I've had from being questioned about if I'm the janitor, the helping staff, wow, wow, synagogue, wow, wow. all sorts of stuff that happened to me. Um, and well, also that brings up an important point: microaggression. Um, those those are, are my personal favorites. Yeah, I mean, very sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> very, there is. I love them as much as I love multiple mosquito bites. Anyways, continue. <laughs> A recent incident involved hello. Um, I they had posted uh, basically this response to Juneteenth being made a federal holiday in the United States. And I got upset by this because Juneteenth has no relevancy to Black Canadians unless they're African Americans that immigrated up here mm-hmm. um, in the past, not 200, 300 years ago, but within our timeline here. Um, so I got upset and I, I posted on one of their social media accounts where they made a post about Juneteenth and I said, this is not a holiday for Black Canadians. I'm not sure why you posted this. I'm paraphrasing what I actually said. Right. Um, but the but the at the end of my tangent, I said this would not be an issue if your staff was actually diverse. And lo and behold, this, this angered the hello gods. Um, I they messaged me and they told me to email the communications director. Um, I did. And what the response that I got, I was very, it, it made me angrier because it was very micro, it was a very precise microaggression. It was very passive aggressive. And it, mm. to me, it was very rude um, because he basically, in his email, he basically accused me of attacking the Hillel staff when I, I didn't. I said, you, your staff needs to be more diverse, which is true. Your staff isn't diverse. Um, and he basically said, I wish you had come to us privately and discussed this. And it was absurd because, number one, I owe nothing to them. I am not a Hillel employee. I am a former university student who was active with Hillel, but I owe nothing to talk to him privately and raise my concerns privately. They posted this publicly, so they got a public response. And I think that's the issue uh, when Black Jews or people of color who are Jews speak out about something that is problematic or they find problematic. They're always told 
to either tone, uh, they're, they're told to tone police their comments mm-hmm. or microaggressions or the passive aggressiveness. Oh, why didn't you come to us instead of going public? Why? Yeah, but, why? But yeah. here's the thing, you know, you, your post is public. Your post is public. And, and as I say to people who want to post stuff on my behalf or, you know, about me, first of all, not about us without us. Mm. Yeah, you, you should ask somebody. You should ask the question first. Is this appropriate or not? Do you think we should be doing this? Don't, don't, you know, it goes back to what we were saying before about feeling that you have the right to make decisions on my behalf or to tell me, to tell me how I should be or to tell me what to do in terms of issues that impact on my life, issues that are, it's my stuff, right? And you are spot on. Juneteenth has now to do with Black Canadians. In fact, I'm trying to think if I know of anybody in my circle who is not African-American who touched that with a 10-foot pole because it is not our holiday. You know, I'm not going to go up there and say, oh, happy 4th of July or anything like that because it's not my holiday. And this is not, it is not about anybody else other than African-Americans. And we can even go as far as say Juneteenth is about a particular state. Oh, yeah, Texas. Had, exactly. And if they had taken the time to do their research instead of this, again, performative allyship stuff that doesn't pump up people of color, they it pump they they perceive it to pump themselves up because when you post stuff like that without any context, without any consultation, without any doing any of the like work, it's it becomes more about you. It's about how you want to look. It's not about the actual content, the actual story, the actual sentiments, the actual meaning behind it. It's not about that. It's about how you want to look. You want to look like you're woke. You want to look like you're an ally. But, you know, first of all, you don't determine if you're an ally. We will let you know if you're an ally. Exactly. People of color, we will let you know if we think you're an ally. It's not the other way around. And it's funny if it was anything related to I find it interesting within our Jewish community because sometimes I'll say to them, well, how would you feel if things were done to you and about you as Jews? And you comment and you say, that's not appropriate. I said, how would you feel if you gave the same reaction, if you got the same reaction, I'm sorry, as you give to us? Yeah. So sit on that for a bit. Ruminate yeah. on that. But right? it's true. It's true. It, at the end of the day, it's very performative. Um, because when I, I, when, I meant, when I told them, when I said, well, this, this has nothing to do with Black Canadians, I did mention we have our day here. It's Which they probably didn't day. know. They probably didn't even know about that. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't doubt that either. Because number one, federally, it became a federal day like a year ago. But then mm-hmm. in Ontario, it's been it's been a provincial day for like thirteen years now. Um, but even then, I doubt they even knew about it. Um, so, but you know, it's like, yeah, and and I and I get that, and I get that. But if you know, this also goes to education in our country, education around all that stuff, and you know, 
if I'm going to post something about something, I'm going to do my due diligence and I'm going to look into what's behind it before I even think about putting anything out there. And that's a sad commentary, actually. The fact that people don't is just a sad commentary on where we've come as a society. And that's got to shift. It's got to change. I don't think it will anytime soon, but really and truly, Social media has been both a blessing and a curse. And sometimes I think that it's more of a curse than it ever is a blessing, regardless of the topic, whether it's about anti-Semitism, racism, uh, COVID-19, you know, the color of the sky. Like there's so much misinformation and crap out there that it's just becoming a nightmare. But, you know, I just want to switch it up a bit before I get completely like depressed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about something. Uh, you see, I'm slipping into the patois. So you're a Jew of Jamaican descent, a Sephardi Jew of Jamaican descent. And at the risk of slipping into my very bad Jafakan patois, <laughs> I want you to talk a, a, a little bit <laughs> about stuff Jamaican, stuff Jamaican Jewish. You can do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the thing, the thing about Jewish Jamaican history it's very interesting i find i find it to be one of the more interesting jewish histories uh out of all of them and that's a big boast but it, i find it is um like we had jewish pirates we had like more than one synagogue there we had like 13 or more um hundreds of years ago um we have the original Torah squirrels from each synagogue that was on the island at the main synagogue in Kingston now. So all of them are there. Um, it's such a unique, strong history. I even found out um, there's a Jewish pastry called Gazada. I found out it's probably Jewish. Um, so Sorry, Gazada, a Jamaican, a Jamaican pastry name, what? Gazada. Well, I, I say it the English way, but gizada is basically um, coconut. It's like, it's a hard pastry. And then you put coconut and you season the coconut and all that and you bake it. It's like a coconut tart, but it's called gizada. Okay. See, look, look here. I told you I was a Jafakan, eh? <laughs> so, <laughs> so... I'm shamed. <laughs> Gazada. You might, you might, unless you say, okay, I know what it is. Yes. I know what it is. I know what it is. I know what it is. You had to, you should have said it like with the Jamaican accent. Well, we're, we're broadcasting to non-Jamaicans. <laughs> so I, I decided not to. But how is it Jamaican going to know what you, what you are talking about? <laughs> Anyways, all right, so you heard that but it's possibly... I, it's possibly Jewish because um, it was brought over to Jamaica uh, by the Portuguese. Um, oh, then you know it's Jewish. Yeah, then it's you know Jewish. it's Jewish. That's because Portuguese Jews, well, I wouldn't say fled, but they did flee to Jamaica during the Spanish Inquisition. And Gazada is technically also a Portuguese dessert. So historically... Portuguese Jews brought to Jamaica and it intermingled within Jamaican cuisine. But Gazada is 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 a Jewish 
Jamaican thing. And I there we go. And I didn't know that. And I ne- neither did I. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. I've eaten them throughout my entire Me too. childhood. Yeah. Me it, too. It's a Never Jamaican, knew. Yeah. It's a typical Jamaican dessert. Mm. And there was no that I had no idea that it was related to Jewish history. There you go. Wow. Wow. All right. If I, uh, you know, if I wasn't trying to, you know, cut down on my carbs, I'd whip some up now. I'm just joking. <laughs> the the COVID baking has stopped. <laughs> yeah, I think I I love you know I know quite a bit about our history, Jewish Jamaican history. But as much as you know, there's always something else to know. Yeah, and. It's because there's there was just so much. I don't think people really. I I know our Jewish community doesn't understand how much history not only doesn't just come out of Jamaica but the Caribbean in general. Yeah. And I say Caribbean. I'm going to digress. It drives me crazy when people say Caribbean. So don't you even say Caribbean. Caribbean <laughs> comes out of the Caribbean. Use that profane word. I say Caribbean. Sorry. I say Caribbean. I, don't, I, I can't even pronounce the other word. I can't say. I yeah. I don't even understand how that even came about. Weird. I don't even know how it came about because I'm like, it's named after the Caribbeans. Yeah. It's not named after the Carib. <laughs> so how did it become the Caribbean? Uh-huh. Anyways, I digress. It's just one of those things. It's kind of like you know, black indigenous people of color. It's kind of one of those things. It's like who changed stuff up. who is that person and you need to come and get your person (laughs) because they're messing it up yeah but yeah no seriously like there is so much history i've always wanted to do um a jewish jewish tour of the caribbean you know um rent rent a yacht because my yacht's in the shop but um rent a yacht and an island hop and just check out the Jewish history of the various islands. It's, it's, it's all over the Caribbean. Um, like you go to Cuba, there's a thriving Jewish community there. You can go to Aruba. You can go to, um, what's it? What's another island? I think it's just about every island's been touched. Nevis, um, you know, big islands, small islands. They've all been touched um, and all and have a history, right? It's just some of them don't have much of a present, but but they most certainly have a history. And I think um, a lot of people in the Jewish community, I wouldn't say they don't want to know, but it was never taught to them. It was never explained to them that... Yeah, by the way, not all Jews were from Europe or Israel or the Middle East. Mm-hmm. There there has been a thriving Jewish uh, community in the Caribbean for hundreds of hundreds of years. Um, and yes, the population has declined, but it's rebuilding back, especially in Jamaica. Um, and there's a Chabad now in Montego Bay. Uh, I think they have a synagogue there now too in Montego Bay. Yeah, he brings stuff out. Yeah, of, he does have. He has regular. He has regular services, and he has weekday minyanim. So mm-hmm. yeah, so it it's thriving, thriving, and um, the history. The history started out with sadness, obviously, of the Spanish Inquisition, but it it transformed to something wonderful. Um, like I remember there was a book 
called Jewish Pirates of the Caribbean. And there was one story about a Jewish pirate, I forget his name, who was based in Jamaica. And basically, he went, he went to war, his own personal war, with the Spanish because the Spanish had destroyed his family, destroyed his life. So when uh, Britain was at war with Spain, he helped um, Britain conquer Jamaica. He helped that. And he, he, he went on his own personal crusade against the Spanish. Um, and even if we choose a less dramatic history, um, Jamaica's major newspaper, the Jamaica Gleaner, mm-hmm. it, was found, it was found by Jews. It was created by Jamaican Jews. Exactly. Exactly. And again, you know, it's just it's just a matter of us really and truly, you know, we're people as a book. We it's just a matter of us educating ourselves about our own people and their own and our own diversity and our own history. You know, I like to say that the history of the Jews of Jamaica or the Jews of, of the Caribbean isn't just your history, Tyler, isn't just my history or whomever's history. It is the history of us as a Jewish people. My story, your story is our story. And I think that's really important. So on that note, my fellow Jamaican, but you're more Jamaican. <laughs> and I, I, I'm the Jafakan. I own it. I own it. I just um, I want to thank you so much for uh, being the first guest on the CJN podcast, Rivkush. It was my absolute pleasure to have you as the first guest and uh, keep up the good work. Um, keep doing what you're doing. I know sometimes it gets tiring, but your voice is an important voice and it's a voice that we need to continue you to not just hear but to listen to so again thank you tyler thanks for listening to the cjn podcast rivkush produced by michael freeman music by Westside gravy my name is rivka campbell if you'd like to listen to more please head to the cjn.ca or wherever you get your podcasts it's time we talk about more than just the tragedy, the hardships we've overcome, and the savagery. It's time we focus on what's woven in the tapestry, the roots that connect us to our truth and the canopy of every single branch of our tradition. The story that's been told and those yet to be written, a tale of persistence and account of achievement all across the globe, every single place that them leaves went. Scattered in the wind, never scattered too thin, to remember where we come from and the gold that's within. Zahab Yerushalayim, Asur Lishkoach, Hakdushat Ha'aretz, Shenoten Lanu Scattered in the wind, never scattered too thin To remember where we come from and the gold that's within Zahab Yerushalayim, Asur Lishkoach, Hakdushat Ha'aretz, Shenoten Lanu Koach